0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the seventh part of our series, going through the Gospel of Mark. So, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, here it is. So good. Hey, I'm so honored you guys could be here this morning. Uh, we're continuing the series. I'm going to read in a second, but I'm going to pray first. Uh, but can you make some noise? Anyone been here for this series? A little bit. We're going through the Gospel of Mark, the Book of Mark. And one thing that I said at the start of the series is I'm not going to number it because we'll kind of see where it goes. And this is week seven that we've been in it. And uh, we got some time left still. I'm not not stopping just yet. Uh, So, hey, um, can you guys just open your hands for a second just like this? And uh, I want to pray over us because I think God wants to deposit something. I want us to receive it. Jesus, thank you so much. For every person here, thank you so much for what you're going to do um, today. We love you, Jesus. Open our hearts to receive the word that you have for us. We pray in your name. Amen, amen, amen. You can clap your hands. Um, You guys can take a seat. Thank you so much to the worship team. Uh, I want to read a number of verses, which is kind of why I'm letting you guys sit down today, because it could be a little bit long if you're standing. Eight verses. Uh, In particular, and it's going to seem like when we go through it, that it's two stories because it's like a story, then another story, then a story. But it actually is one story. So Mark chapter 11 uh, is where we're going to be this morning. If you're ready, could you just shout, "I'm I'm ready. Come on online. If you're ready in the comments, you can say I'm ready. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It says the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. One of my favorite passages. Jesus was hungry. Uh, verse 13, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, Jesus went out to see if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing. He found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Like, what's going on, Jesus? Verse 15, on reaching, Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them and he said, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? verse 18 the chief priests and the teacher of the law heard this and they began to look for ways to kill him but they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching I love Jesus that some are so amazed that they can't get enough and some want to kill him when evening came Jesus and his disciples went out to the city and were kind of back at the first scene in the morning as they went along they saw the fig tree with the withered that had withered from the roots Peter Remember this, and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. It's withered. I want to, uh, or actually, if you guys come back next week, who's coming back next week? A few people. Um, we're going to, the story's not done here, but we're going to read the rest of it next week. Um, but I want to call today's message fake fruit. And in brackets, you can write the problem with religion. The problem with religion. Thank you so much, Claire. Can you guys give Claire a round of applause? (laughs) On the keyboard. So awesome. Hey, uh, if you're new here, my name's Harrison. So glad you could be here online. So glad you guys could join us. Um, I want to uh, take you guys back a number of years. Uh, For those of you guys that don't know, I I went to school uh, in small town Alberta called Lacombe, Alberta, uh, if anyone's ever been there. Um, Now, when I was in college, kind of like most college kids, uh, we uh, were kind of always looking for places to eat, right? It's kind of like a college thing. Uh, but being a college kid, we also didn't have a lot of money, right? And so oftentimes, we found ourselves at McDonald's. Um, like, say what you want about the Golden Arches, but I think that, like, for a burger on a budget, it doesn't get much better than Mickey D's. Can I get an amen from someone in the crowd today? Uh, but like after a while, you kind of get tired of going to McDonald's all the time. And Lacombe is not that big. So we decided to venture into the city um, and just kind of see what it had. And one day, we ended up at a place called Burger Baron. Anyone ever heard of Burger Baron before? Now, what I found out this week about Burger Baron is that there's like a couple in Alberta, uh, but every single one of them is independently owned. It's not a franchise. So what that means is like whatever Burger Baron you go to, they've got their own menu. they got their own thing. So, like, McDonald's, the McDouble's the McDouble in Edmonton and in Calgary, right? Burger Baron, kind of different. So, we went to the Burger Baron uh, in Lacombe. And, like, when you see it from the outside, if you've ever seen it, you can, you can go Google it after. Like, whatever year it was built, like 1960 or whatever, it doesn't look like it's changed since then. It doesn't look like they've cleaned it since then. And so, we went to the Burger Baron because, like we wanted a new experience. And to be honest, like, we, we didn't have huge expectations, like you never know, sometimes the dingiest places have the best food, right? But like we just, we didn't really have any expectations at all. Uh, that all changed when we went into the Burger Baron and the owner decided to take our order. So we got in there and the owner was kind of the only guy working. I think he was cooking, taking <laughs> the, the the orders, everything. And he was like, hey, have you guys ever been here before? Uh, we're like, no, this is our first time. He's like, well, you're in for a treat because uh, you may not know this but the Burger Baron has the best burger in Alberta. And I said, okay. And uh, we kind of, you know, we didn't really get too excited. And so I think that he, he wasn't, you know, happy that we weren't convinced. And he said, no, no, seriously, you're not going to believe this, but do you guys know who Alice Cooper is? And I was like, yeah, I know Alice Cooper, a rock star. He said, Alice Cooper has been here, and he actually says this is the best burger he's ever had. You guys know Alice Cooper? He's, he's a rock star, uh, a very famous rock star. He's getting kind of old now, um, but that doesn't stop rock stars these days. And uh, in my mind, I'm trying to figure out in what world, in what world tour did Alice Cooper ever find himself in Lacombe, Alberta? And he's like, yeah, no, like Alice Cooper has tried this. It's the best burger ever. Now, to be honest, um, I'm a skeptical person by nature. I didn't really believe him. And to this day, I still don't believe him. Uh, <laughs> But here's the thing. All that stuff aside, I'm already in the store. He doesn't need to sell me. And so the fact that he's trying to sell me on this burger, that kind of tells me at least one thing. This must be a pretty good burger. Like, he's so confident that, like, I'm already here. He knows I'm buying the burger, and he's claiming it's the best burger you will ever had and Alice Cooper's personal favorite. And so we ordered the burger. We had the burger. It wasn't great. Like, it wasn't bad. I don't think this thing is a bad burger. Like, it was okay. It was kind of like the best way I can describe it. Have you guys ever been to, like, a community cookout, and there's, like, this 45-year-old dad cooking 300 burgers for everyone, and, like, everyone gets a free burger? You guys ever had that burger before? That's kind of what the Burger Banger tasted like. Like, it wasn't bad, but it certainly was not the best burger I've ever had. And so we kind of always joke after that that there must be another Alice Cooper that lives in Rimby, Alberta, and... <laughs> He really enjoys the Burger Baron. Uh, but to be honest, like again, like we went, when we went there, we didn't have any expectations. We weren't expecting anything. The only time that it switched was when this owner began to proclaim that he had something. I think the issue is it's if you proclaim something, you better be able to deliver what, you can, what you're proclaiming to have. And so this is kind of where I want to go this morning. This is what I want to talk about. We're talking about this subject of fake fruit. Um, and the problem with religion. Uh, it's interesting because if you, if you look up um, just kind of some of the things that turn people off when it comes to church, when it comes to Christianity in general, one of the biggest things that people will say is that the reason that they don't want to come to church, the reason they don't want to have anything to do with God, is because they feel like Christians are hypocritical. You guys ever heard that? Christians are the biggest hypocrites in the world. Me- meaning, hypocrite just means that they say one thing, but they act another way. And so for a lot of people they are just turned off, or some people even were in church and they left church, and the reason that they left is because are like, man, people that are proclaiming to follow Jesus, a Jesus that says he's, he's loving, kind, gracious, the people that follow him don't really look like him. And so one, one of the biggest reasons that people say that they don't want anything to do with God, church, religion, is because Christians are kind of hypocritical. And now, if you're a Christian, if you heard that before, a part of us can kind of get a little defensive, right? Maybe you've been there, and it's like, well, these people just need to suck it up. They need to have a thicker skin. We're all hypocrites. I think they just, they're just saying that because they don't want to change their lives. Like, <laughs> You guys have made excuses, right, for that? And it's funny because when I look at Jesus, I think that, like, for the people, when they look at church, when they look at Christianity, and the people that don't like the hypocrisy that they see. I think that they're actually in good company because when I understand the life of Jesus, if there's one thing that kind of ticked him off, it was hypocrites. If there was one thing that kind of rubbed Jesus the wrong way was when people would say one thing but would act a different way. And so the story that I want to study today, the story that I want to go through here in Mark chapter 11, what Jesus is trying to do is that Jesus is trying to dismantle a system and dismantle a mindset that was built on hypocrisy. What he was trying to do, he was trying to change a system, I need us to get this, and change a mindset where things look good on the outside, but not so much on the inside. And what's interesting, what Jesus wants to do, and and we're going to see it in the story, is Jesus doesn't want to just change the old way. Jesus wants to completely flip it upside down. And the new way, I need us to understand this, the new way of following Jesus does not actually leave room for hypocrisy. In the purest form of following Jesus, I want us to understand this, there is actually no room for you to be a hypocrite. The question is, then why is church oftentimes filled with hypocrites? So I want to to look um, at a fig tree this morning, and it seems kind of obscure. We're going to study this passage again that we just read. But Jesus is about to use this fig tree as an object lesson, and he's going to take something from it and teach us today. So is there anyone that's ready again to go this morning? Come on, can I hear some people this morning? Mark 11, verse 12, they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance, a tree in leaf means it was full of leaves. It was growing. He went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Curses it. And the disciples heard him say it. Now, if you know anything about Jesus or at least the picture or at least the perception of what you think Jesus is like, this is kind of different from the picture or the perception that you have. Because when I understand Jesus, this kind of looks a little bit different. It's kind of odd, like he's cursing a tree, like, calm down, bro. (laughs) It's just a tree. But what I want us to understand is that Jesus is using this tree as an object lesson. And what I mean by that is Jesus is using this tree to take from it an abstract illustration that he wants us to apply to our everyday lives. And so this tree is really important. And the reason this tree is important is because, as I said, this behavior, this odd behavior of Jesus Is actually meant to grab our attention you see this is the only miracle in the entire New Testament as one scholar describes it that is a destructive miracle because he curses the tree and at the end we find out the tree dies it's a destructive 99% of the miracles of the things that you will see about Jesus are the opposite it's not about destruction it's about restoration Every other miracle, Jesus is giving sight to the blind. He's restoring people's lives. He's restoring health. He's casting out demons. He's literally bringing people back to life. If you don't know something about Jesus, I'll tell you something really quick that I want you to understand. One of the core characteristics of Jesus is that Jesus makes things new. Jesus, I said Jesus makes things new. He's a God of restoration. Jesus wants to restore our lives. He wants to restore our marriages. He wants to restore our relationships. He wants to restore our hearts. That's just who he is. And so I'll tell you, if you're looking for something this morning, like, I, I, I feel like something's missing. I feel like I need something new. You don't need a new job. You don't need a new house. You need the one that can make you new, and his name is Jesus. That's what he does. I don't know how hard I have to preach this morning. of the time, he's doing that. And so in the 1% where he's destroying something, this is meant to grab our attention. But this is really important, and you'll see it. In the process of destroying, the only reason that he's destroying this fig tree is because in the end, he wants to bring something new. Because that's just who he is. And this fig tree illustrates our hearts, but it also illustrates the temple, which we're going to see in a moment. Um, But I want us to start uh, just with the fig tree. And so I want us to understand the fig tree because for a lot of us, anyone seen a real fig tree before? Anyone (laughs) growing one in their backyard? Um, The way in which the fig tree goes, the Bible tells us that Jesus was hungry, right? And and this is important um, just in the sense that he sees the tree. But when Mark says, is the verse still up there? He says when he reached the tree, um, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. This is really important because they would have known already this wasn't the season for fruit. And the only reason this is important is because we need to understand that this story has nothing to do with Jesus being hungry. Some people can read it just literally and be like, Jesus was hungry. And there was no fruit. Like that's pretty annoying. Right? We've all been hangry before. I think he was just hangry. But that little that little detail there is letting us know this is nothing to do with literal hunger. You see, what this letting us know is that in the in, in the distance there would be this fig tree. And the way in which a fig tree would naturally grow is that the leaves and the figs would grow at the same time. And so when the leaves would begin to bloom, when a a fig tree was in leaf, the figs would grow simultaneously. It would happen at the same time. And so anyone that would have an understanding of fig trees, if you saw a fig tree with leaves on it, the natural assumption would be that that fig tree with great leaves would have great fruit. That was just the assumption. And so for Jesus, for the disciples, when they saw that fig tree, in their minds, the first thing they would think would be like, because it has leaves, was it must have fruit. But when Jesus gets closer, when Jesus examines the tree, what he sees is that the tree has no fruit. And then he curses it. So here's the thing I want us to understand. The reason that Jesus cursed the tree was because the tree had the appearance of fruits, but it was actually empty. I want us to understand this. I'll break it down even simpler. The reason that the tree was cursed was because the tree was a hypocrite. Because it was a hypocrite. Now, again, it's an illustration. The tree is an app, it's, it's not like a real thing, right? But Jesus is trying to illustrate something. The tree was claiming one thing, but it was producing something different. It claimed to have good fruit, but the closer you got, there wasn't actually anything there. You see, one thing that I've realized is that when it comes to, to, like, people, none of us really care if someone acts bad or acts wrong. But what really kind of rubs us the wrong way is if someone claims one thing, like I claim to be a really good person, I claim to be a really nice person, then I act contrary. It's kind of like in Hollywood, actors, like if an actor has, like, a sexual kind of misstep and affair or something like that, everyone's kind of like, us. Oh, it's Hollywood. <laughs> it's just what actors do. No one really cares because it's kind of expected. But like if, if a pastor does it, it's a whole different thing, right? Because they're professing one thing but acting differently. And so Jesus here is cursing this tree because this tree is, has an appearance of being fruitful. But the closer you get, it's actually empty. I think that 1 Samuel chapter 16 kind of illustrates the Lord's heart in this matter. This is Old Testament. He says, the Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, what Jesus is saying is that appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. You see, as people, we kind of have a tendency to pass judgment on the outer, like what we see on the surface. And, like, Instagram makes that really easy, right? Because, like, I can see that person. It's like, oh, my gosh, they're such a good mother. They're such a good husband. They're such a good worker. Look at that person working. And so there's this appearance, right? And we can, we can build up this appearance. We can build up this persona where things look really good on the outside. But I wonder for how many of our lives, if there was a closer examination, what we see on the outside doesn't match what's happening on the inside. But we kind of live in this world that praises the outer and doesn't really worry about the inner. But the thing is this. If your outer appearance is greater than what's happening inside of you, that's a recipe for hypocrisy. Your life is setting up to be a hypocrite. I'll tell you something. My life as a pastor, I'm not judged by what I do on stage. This isn't real life when I'm preaching up here. I can say good things. That doesn't mean I'm acting right at home. My life will not be judged what's on here, what's on YouTube. My, judge will be, my life will be judged by those who actually know me. What do what the people that are closest to me think about me? Does my family respect me? Do my friends respect me? It's not about the outer. Why? Because appearances can be deceiving. And so this tree is supposed to make us think. Because Jesus curses it. And now for a lot of us, can we be honest, maybe something's in our mind. It's like, yeah, I've, I've known some people. I've known some people that put up this front, but the closer I got to them, they were jerks. I've known some people that look like they had it all together, but like the closer that I got. Here's the thing about Jesus, and really here's the thing with the Bible. If you're reading the Bible, or if you're understanding Jesus in a way that always makes you look outwards, you're not doing it right. The way in which Jesus speaks is not to make us look outwards, but to make us look inwards. It's not to say, who are the hypocrites in my life? It's to say, I wonder in what areas of my life am I acting like this? You see, the call of our life, I want us to get this. If you're taking notes, write this one down. The call of our life is not to just appear fruitful, to appear like we have, it's to actually be fruitful. Uh, You can write it down like this, our lives are supposed to produce fruit. Our lives are supposed to produce fruit. Now, in the Bible, the book of Galatians, which is the New Testament, Paul tells us exactly what kind of fruit our life is supposed to produce. He says your life is supposed to produce joy, peace, love, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. He says, that is what your life is supposed to produce. You want to know what's fascinating about that list? Nothing in that list says that when you follow Jesus, people will know because of how much you read your Bible, how much you go to church, how much you post on Instagram, what your bio says. I I, I don't see that anywhere. Instead, what it says is that your life, your mark of a believer is the fruit that you produce. In other words, am I actually loving? Am I actually kind? Do I have self-control? Don't go there, pastor. Do I have joy? And so what this story is supposed to do is to make us ask, what kind of fruit am I producing? Do I look really good on the outside, but the closer that people come, the more that people know me, the more fake I actually am? Is my social media, is my, is my work persona better than my real person who I actually am? And so what we're supposed to do, if our lives do not produce these fruit, all we have to do is take stock, and the answer is so simple. Just have more Jesus. If I'm not producing fruit, it means I need more Jesus. It means I need more of him in my life. I need more of him. I was talking to someone this week, and it was so awesome. And she said, in this last year, um, I've come closer to God than I've ever come in my entire life. And she said, but it was really weird because like, I was coming closer to God. Um, and at first, I thought that like I was gossiping more. And at first, I thought I was kind of like being less kind. She's like, but after time, what I realized, it wasn't that I was doing more. It was that for the first time in my life, I actually realized I was doing these things. Because that's what happens. When we come closer to Jesus, it's kind of like a mirror. It's supposed to be a mirror where the more we see him, the more faulty we appear. And so we are actually able then to say, hey, my life isn't produced in the way that he looks like, so I just need more Jesus. And it is so simple because the closer that we draw to Jesus, the more faulty we appear. And the closer we come to Jesus, it shouldn't be the more I think of myself, it's the less I think of myself. And it's the more I realize, man, I'm not like him. But I want to be like him. And so we draw closer. And the beauty is the closer that you draw to him, the closer that he feels. And the more our lives actually begin to produce fruit. And if we're not producing fruit, it's so Simple. All we have to do is one thing. It's just repentance. What's repentance? Really simple is to say, hey, I fell short. I messed up. What does repentance look like? My life is supposed to produce the fruit of love. but Like I really wanted to be loving, but someone on social media was like so stupid, so I just had to tell them how stupid they are. Jesus, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. That's repentance. It's like I know I'm supposed to have self-control, but we were alone and it was late. Um... And wasn't to Jesus. I'm sorry. That's repentance. And the beautiful thing is, in whatever situation, whatever instance you feel like you fell short, if you repent, Jesus forgives you every single time. I said, if you repent, Jesus forgives you every single time. He is just and he is faithful to forgive. And so it's not a matter of being perfect. It's a matter of striving after Jesus. And the more I strive, the more I realize how messed up I am. And every time I'm messed up, all I have to do is repent. And that actually brings me closer to Jesus. The reason you have guilt in your life sometimes is because you think you have to run from Jesus when you mess up. It's the opposite. You come closer. And it's so easy because when you do these things, your life will begin to produce fruit. The question is, why don't we do it? Why don't we do it more? Why aren't our lives more fruitful? It's because we kind of live in a time and a culture now where we're actually, because like 10 years ago, maybe like you don't want to talk about the word repentance or um, getting people to change. And uh, that's not so much anymore, but it is taboo in one area. You see, I think the reason that for a lot of us we won't look inward is because we're too busy looking outward. And we live in a time, we live in a time in history where instead of looking inward, we're looking at everyone else and saying, how can I judge those people? <laughs> how can I get those people to repent? Listen to this. We live in a time where we want every single person has ever done something wrong to repent. That's cancel culture. I want them to know that they, we want every single person to experience justice. The ironic thing is we want everyone to experience justice except us. Because listen to this, it's a whole lot easier to tell someone else how bad they are than to look in the mirror and say, I fall short too. But what happens is Christians, when we look outward, and this is not even just cancel culture, this is like Christianity in general. And we start telling people they need to change. Well, they fall short. It's a recipe for hypocrisy. Because the more we look outward, the less we look inward. And the more we look outward, the easier it is to call someone else to change, but hide behind our own veil of holiness. Because we say things like, well, you know what? At least I'm better than them. Hey, at least I'm not a killer. That person's a murderer. I'm better than that person. That person's a racist. That person's a misogynist. I'm better than that person. What about this one? At least I go to church. Ha-ha, I go to church. Ha-ha! I'm good. I go, I, go to, I, go to, I go to church. I serve on the team. I serve at Kingdom Church. You see, the quickest way to bear fake fruit, listen to this, is to start comparing yourself to other people. Because what you're able to do is put on this persona, this outward appearance, but nothing actually changes on the inside. And so when Jesus, listen to this, is cursing the fig tree, he's cursing anyone or anything that has it all going on on the outside, but there's little to no change on the inside. It looks like they're fruitful, but their life doesn't actually produce anything. And the purpose of this is to make us look inward and to ask ourselves question. Now, that's the object lesson. And the object lesson turns into a full-born illustration as Jesus enters the temple. And you're going to see why it's one story in a second. It says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he began driving out those who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money chargers and the benches of those who were selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. No one wants to give Jesus a round of applause. That's okay. (laughs) I remember when I was like kind of, you know, it, it just first, striving with the God kind of new believer thing um you want to read everything black and white right and you kind of have this picture and you want to make God fit into your picture what God should be like and so the idea is that God is love and so it's like anything that doesn't fit into that picture we kind of try to make it make sense and I remember when I read the story at first I was like you know what I don't see the love here um so we're probably not understanding it. Like, Jesus like overturned the tables. That's like symbolically, he flipped the tables, right? Like he turned the tables. John chapter two gets even more explicit. It says Jesus didn't just tra- chase them out. He actually made a whip. So whoosh, get out of here. And I'm like, no, he probably didn't do that. Like he was probably like on a stage, maybe like far away, and he just kind of just like waving, because like you wanted to fit a picture, right? And this picture of Jesus flipping tables, chasing people with the whip, doesn't really seem to fit in that picture of a loving God. Like I don't get it. But here's the thing I want us to understand. As we read this story and as as we understand it, there's one thing you do not, should not, cannot run away from. Jesus is angry in this story. He's ticked off. And for a lot of us, we have this idea that anger and love are on the opposite end of the spectrum. But one thing I've said before, and I'll say it again, anger is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is indifference. And so if Jesus was indifferent in the face of something that was important, that is actually what love is not. To not care, to not take notice, to not take exception. But Jesus is angry here in this story. Why? Because I want us to understand something. There is one thing that makes God very angry, and that is when people are exploited. God is against the exploitation of people. God is against people being taken advantage of. I need you to understand something. In modern days, if there are people being exploited, and we know that there are, we know that people are literally trafficked around the world. That makes God angry. And that should make us angry because it's a great injustice. And so the exploitation of people makes him angry. And in this system, at this temple, what you need to understand is that the people were getting exploited. And I'll explain it in really the simplest terms. Because what you need to understand, if there's one thing that makes God angry, it's the exploitation of people. I think the number two thing, and maybe it's like a number one, I'm not going to get into God's head. But I think what makes him really angry is that when people that profess to be followers of God are exploiting people. People that are supposed to be bringing freedom and liberation are the very ones that are exploiting people. And this system, this religious system that was built at this time was doing just that. So I want us to understand the temple really simply, really briefly. In essence, the temple was the place that you came to worship. You came to worship God. You could kind of equate it to modern day church a little bit different. And one of the main differences was in order to worship, a part of worship was bringing something. It was bringing a sacrifice a literal animal. Now for a lot of us, when we think of modern day church and the temple, it can be like, man, that must have sucked to bring something. To literally bring an animal. And it's true. Praise God. Praise Jesus. We don't have to bring a sacrifice. But the truth is this. When you come to church, you still need to bring something. We need to bring our worship. We need to bring our adoration. We need to bring our hearts. Because some of us come here so closed-minded, so closed-hearted, we can't even receive anything that God has for us. But, but, but this is the temple. They had to bring a Sacrifice. And the sacrifice in and of itself was not the problem. What the problem was is that the religious leaders at this time had developed this place where this temple, this worship place, had turned more into a marketplace. And so because they knew that people needed to get sacrifices, what they did is they became the only ones and the only place where you could get an acceptable sacrifice. And so they would literally sell the animals there, the goats, the sheep, the dove, all of these things. And they would sell them at exorbitant prices way above what they were worth in order that they would make a profit themselves and they would come up. And the further that you were away from God, the more exploited you were. So there was these people like the not people of God known as the Gentiles. Those guys could only come to the outer courts and oftentimes they'd get the worst deals. Exploited. And the people, the reason that they did this, because you are like, why would you even pay? If you know you're getting ripped off, why would you do it? It's because these religious peoples were the ones that you assumed were doing the right thing. Because these people represent God. These are God's people. But here's the thing, if you want to understand it in a nutshell and why Jesus is so ticked off, is that they built a system where the religious people profited at the expense of others. The widowers, the commoners, the outsiders were the ones that were being exploited. The people that represented God we're taking advantage of the people that were trying to pursue God. Let me say that again. The people that represented God were being exploited by the people that were trying to pursue God. The represented God were exploiting the people. Let me say it again, make more sense. Third time. The people edit that out online. The people that represented God were exploiting and taking advantage of the people that were trying to pursue God. Does that make sense the third time? That's how I meant to say it. And so listen for a second. I want to speak because at the start there's this crowd and maybe you're there, maybe you're online. And it's like, you know what? I can't stand church. I can't stand religious organizations. I can't stand the institution because there's corruption. And there's hypocrisy. and, And a lot of times these religious people are trying to make a profit off of people. They're exploiting them. And guess what? If that makes you angry, if that ticks you off, it's okay. Because it ticked Jesus off too. It made Jesus angry as well. And the truth is, when Jesus is flipping the tables, what he is saying, he's bringing judgment down on that institution. He's bringing judgment down on any religious institution that is taking advantage of people. God can't stand it either. It makes him angry. And so he flips the tables, chases them, then he teaches them. That's when you know you're really gangster, where you can do all that stuff and start teaching But he says this, he says, is it not written, verse 17, that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You have made it a den of thieves. Now you need to understand, this is a stunning accusation that Jesus puts up here. A den of thieves. You have made this house of prayer into a den of thieves. You see, the system, listen to this, this is important. The system that represented God became a place where people actually hid from God. What do I mean by that? You see, the thing with the religious people is in this time, they had become so filled with power. I don't think they actually recognized what they were doing. I don't think they even recognized the fact that their hearts were being hardened. But this is the thing with religious institution, and this is the thing with the heart of religion, is that the safest place for the hardest of hearts to hide is within the confines of religion. And what I mean by that is that religion gives us this false sense of security. Because as long as I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do, I think I'm okay. As long as I have that appearance of holiness, I think I'm okay. But I want you to understand this. The safest place for the hardest of hearts is within the confines of religion. Now, for some of us, it's like, you know what, like, that, that's temple stuff. That's, old, that's not, That doesn't happen today. You see, I think that one of the reasons that this does happen today is because the very system that Jesus came to tear down, oftentimes the one that we profess to follow Jesus, the system that he tore down, we build it right back up. We build it right back up. I want you to understand something. The system that Jesus tore down was a system built on religion. And when I say religion, what I mean is this. The way that you relate to God, how God approves of you, is based on what you do. It's based on behavior. It's based on rituals for the Jewish people, based on what they ate, what they drank, how well they sacrificed, what days they kept holy. That is how God approved of them. But what happened was a system was built where they could do all the right things. They could keep the feasts. They could keep the festivals. They could keep all the sacrifices. And so on the outer, it looked really good. But their hearts were hardened. But they felt okay. Because I serve in the temple. Because I brought a sheep. And here's the thing with bad leadership. The religious leaders were bad, corrupt, whatever you want to say. That diffuses to everyone. And so the rest of the people had a hardened heart as well. And they couldn't see the goodness of God. Because instead of the goodness of God, the system was built on what they did and what you did. And so when I say sometimes the church rebuilds that system that Jesus tore down, it's because like we don't have temples, but we have churches. We have denominations. We have labels. We have titles. We have things that we put on ourselves. And many times we put these things on ourselves to put us above other people. And we have this thing where I can actually hide behind a hardened heart because I go to church. I get wild in the night times, but in the morning, I'm at church. So I'm good. Because the safest place for the hardest of hearts oftentimes is within church. Crazy thing, a lot of times it's within church leadership. It's within pastors. But Jesus came to tear that system down. You see, this temple was a very picture of the fig tree, where it looked good from the outside but the closer that you got, it had no fruit. It was fake fruit. It wasn't producing anything that was long-lasting. And so when the story ends in Mark chapter 11, verse 19 and 20 to 21, it says, when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you have cursed has withered. Now, what you need to understand is when the, when the fig tree is gone, this is a representation of the religious system and what is to come. You see, what Jesus says when he curses the tree earlier, he says, may no one eat fruit from you again. And what he meant by that was that the way in which things were done in the past, he said, may this not be the system of the future. And so what he was doing is he was casting judgment on the old way. Because I want you to understand this. The old way was all about what you could do. It was all about what you would do. It was all about your works, your goodness, your sacrifices. It was a system built on you. And so what we say is that religion, what religion is, religion is a system that is all about what you need to do. Do this and you'll be saved. Do this and you'll be holy. Go to church and you will become more of a God person. There's nothing inherently wrong with doing good things. Praying, reading, all those outer things. The issue is when the outer doesn't match the inner. And so the system, what I said at the start, that does not leave room for hypocrisy was the new system that Jesus brought in. Because in the old system, it was about the sacrifice that you brought. That was how you attained salvation. That was how you attained forgiveness. In the new system, the Bible tells us that Jesus brought a new and better way, making the old way obsolete. And in the new way, it's not about what you can bring, because religion says do, it's about what God did. And what God did is that he sent his only son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? Because he became the sacrifice that no other sacrifice could live up to. Because he who is without sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of Christ. You know what that means? It means that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my past. He doesn't see my mistakes. He doesn't see my failures. If I've accepted Jesus, he just sees Jesus. Religion says do. Jesus says done. It's done. On the cross, Jesus said it is finished. The old way is finished. Listen, here he's casting judgment on the fig tree, on the temple, but it's a foreshadow. On the cross, it was done. This system no longer exists. And so anytime we try to build back a system that is based on anything that you and I can achieve or do, we're bringing back what Jesus has finished. And in the new way, the better way, you need to understand this, it leaves no room for hypocrisy. Why? Why? Because I know that I am nowhere, my standing has nothing to do with anything that I've done. It's all about Jesus. It's because I understand that we all fall short of Jesus. And so when I look at the worst of the worst, I realize, guess what? I am among them. Paul says, uh, he says, of all the sinners, I'm the worst. There's no ranking in the kingdom of God. We're all the worst. Every single one of us needs Jesus. Every single one of us needs grace. Every single one of us needs his mercy. And when I understand that I can look at the people that I think I'm better than, that I think I'm more holy than, and say, man, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we're all in the same playing field. And so listen to this. That's who Jesus is. He's the one that took on the weight of sin, the weight of shame, He's the one that's broken down barriers, strongholds, division. And I just have this belief because I think for a lot of people, they have this picture of who Jesus is. But Jesus, I think, he gives us what he really wants in Mark 11, verse 17 again. He says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. My house, my people, all nations. There's no room for division in the kingdom of Jesus. There's no room for barriers in Jesus' kingdom, all nations. And so I have this belief that the people, and I want you to think of the people in your life. Maybe it's the hardest of hearts. Maybe you see you this morning, maybe you're watching online. And maybe you think that you've rejected God and who He is and what He's all about, like He's always judging me. But I wonder if you have not rejected God, but you've just rejected the picture of what you think God is like. And I want to suggest this morning that Jesus is better than you could ever imagine. I want to, want to suggest this morning that Jesus does not judge you based on the outer. Here's the beauty. It's not even based on the inner. We're judged on one thing and one thing only. Have we accepted the free gift of salvation? Nothing I can do nothing I can say to attain that and I have this belief that if we understood who Jesus was no one would reject him no one could walk away from his goodness from his grace and so if that's you this morning I want to make this appeal to reject the old and bring in the new put away the old and bring in the new cast away the slave and live in freedom I want let's just stand for a second, church. every head bowed, every eye closed right now. I want to make an appeal. Online, you're in this too. Any person right now, you're just saying, you know what? I've had a picture. I've had a perception. I thought that my standing with God was based on me. I've been hypocritical. I've been judging people, but I want to live in the freedom of Jesus. If that's you this morning, and you want to just live in the goodness of God, I just want to encourage you. I want to give you the chance to respond. If you're in the room, I'm going to count down from three. You can just show me your hand. Online, you can receive this as well. If you want to accept Jesus, you want to live in his goodness, I want to give you the opportunity. I'm just going to count down from three, then just show me your hand. In three, two, one, just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, thank you. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer together, whole church. Just repeat it after me. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you now more than ever. I give you my everything. I give you my wins, and I give you my sins. God, today, make me a new creation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's clap our hands come on. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. Hey, we would love to connect with you. We would love to get to know you. So why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca today. Fail to connect card. We would love to get in touch with you, help you walk this journey with Jesus. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time, take care.